Well, today uh, we'll be continuing our series. We've been in there for, I don't know, maybe two months or more. Uh, Kingdom Come. We've been looking from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. And today we'll be looking at just a couple verses in Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 to 14. Uh, last week, in case you were not here, or you missed it, or you're trying to remember, what did Jim even share it on? Sometimes I ask myself that too. <laughs> what did I even preach on? I don't even know. Then I look at the notes. But I was sharing about Jesus bringing the best gift, you know, God being a good, well, not a good, but the best father. And uh, I look specifically, I felt like the Lord leading the focus on the best gift he ever gave us is obviously a restored relationship with him through Jesus, but that Christ himself, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwells within. Isn't that awesome? Does that get excited? I know, it just gets me excited. I'm like, Lord, you are with me no matter what you're going through this week. This week could have been a great week or a hard week. Um, today might be a great day or a hard day. You don't walk alone, right? The Holy Spirit's within. It's just like, God, you are with us. You are for us. You're not against us. And you're not like a distant help that's on the other side of the hill. You're like, the Holy Spirit says, inside of you. It's awesome. So we're talking about that. And I was sharing this with our church council on Thursday. We we're just talking about things that were encouraging us. And I just, as a reminder, as I'm starting, I was just thinking, um, so often, I've done this so much. There's certain things like I want more of in my life. Uh, I don't know about you, but maybe you've already gotten everything you want. <laughs> But there's still stuff I want more of. And a lot of it, honestly, is I want to more, look more like Jesus. How about you, right? I want to look more like Jesus. Because I just know, as we're on this uh, progression of growing towards maturity in Christ, uh, none of us ever arrive. Um, none of us. Whether you're 20 or 40 or 80 or 100 or somewhere in between, none of us ever arrive on the planet. So we keep growing. And as I was thinking about what the Lord's been showing me, especially he was talking about the Holy Spirit last week and mentioning that and that, um, there's so much beautiful fruit that comes from just abiding with Jesus. Amen? Right? And I was thinking about some of the fruit of the Spirit. I want to see more in my life. Maybe you want to see more in your life. Galatians 5, it talks about, you know, things like love and joy and peace. And sometimes I'm just like, I just want more love. I want more love to care well and love and sacrificially love my wife and my kids, my friends, the church body here, people I meet, whatever. And sometimes I'm just like, I just want more of the love. So I'm like praying for the love. I want the love, you know, whatever. And, uh, and sometimes I need more peace, right? Who doesn't need peace, right? You look at the news, you're like, God, I need peace now. I didn't need it before, but I looked at the news, right? Uh, life can just have so many nerving, anxious moments in it. But God just kept reassuring me that, Jim, these are just the fruit of abiding in me. If you want more love in your life, to love your family or your friends unconditionally, with a, with a power, the most, one of the most powerful things that the Holy Spirit gives you, a lot of times we focus on spiritual gifts and stuff that are cool, but the most powerful thing is actually that we can love like God loves us. And maybe this morning you're like, oh, God, I, I need more peace in my life. Instead of seeking after peace, just invite the Prince of Peace, right, to work in you. And it's beautiful because as we spend time in God's presence, we start to look less like us and more like Jesus. As we repent, make room for Christ to work in us, like John the Baptist, may Christ increase and may I decrease. And when we do that, the fruit just starts to kind of overflow. It might take time. Fruit doesn't automatically just oftentimes just bloom. But so, sometimes God does bless us with that. Wow, Lord, I'm just in your presence and spending time in prayer and in your word. And wow, the peace of God surpasses all understanding. It's now guarding my heart and mind in Jesus. And so I just want to give that encouragement and exhortation that as it's easy to look after the benefits of following Christ, that when we just fall in love with Jesus more and let his spirit work within us, that just comes as a byproduct. Amen. Let the fruit of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, just overflow in your life and in my life. 
Well, today we'll be looking just at three verses, and they're kind of two different, um, it almost could be two different messages, honestly. So I'm going to do my best uh, to look at three verses and look at them in a way that I believe will be helpful for all of us as we want to grow to look more like Jesus. So we're looking at Matthew 7, uh, verses 12 to 14. So once again, Jesus is teaching and he's sharing, and this is what he says. In verse 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let's take a moment to pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. God, we thank you for these three verses, God. God, I pray that you would speak through me, and God, that you encourage all of us, Lord, to just take in what you have for us and apply it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 12 might sound really familiar because it oftentimes is referred to as the golden rule. And I was just doing some research on this, and I, I didn't know some of this actually. It was kind of fun, just reading commentaries. But... Uh, when Jesus was sharing this, it wasn't the first time that Jesus was the one that mentioned something like this. There was actually in the, uh, uh, rabbis who actually would mention something, but in the negative of this verse, or I guess just say sentence. So about 80, 20, this is from commentaries, I didn't know this, I had to look it up. Uh, Rabbi Hillel um, was challenged by a Gentile to summarize the law. And this is what uh, this rabbi said. He says, what is hateful to you do not do to anyone else. So what is hateful to you, so what do you hate, right? Do not do it to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is commentary. So that would have been something that would have been well known, right, during this time of Jesus. I didn't know that, but from the culture, they would have been aware of that. Um, yeah, this whole idea is what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. As we can probably understand, like, wow, if you really don't like someone, <laughs> Figure out what you hate most and then do it to them, right? It's like, man, this is going to really get them. But the whole idea is don't do that. Well, Jesus didn't just quote what was well known. He actually brought it to a different level. Because it says, so whatever you wish, the wording on this is very interesting. Whatever you wish, desire that others would do to you, do also for them. And you can take a moment, even in your own life. And I was talking with uh, Stephen Ludlum this past week. Because uh, the men's prayer group, they actually look at these scriptures that we're about to preach on Sunday, look at it on Thursday. So men, if you're looking for a prayer group, 6 a.m. Thursday. But we were just talking about this, and uh, he was mentioning the group on Thursday. It's like, how often do we ever think this way, right? Um, as we're going about our actions or going about our day, uh, how, how often? I, I don't think I've ever asked myself, honestly, that question. Uh, Jim, what do you wish others would do to you? Think about it. And then do awesome for them. But Jesus is really, he's summarizing actually kind of the whole Sermon on the Mount with this one kind of ethical statement. And I want to bring us back to the beginning portion of the Sermon on the Mount to Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20. Uh, Jesus said this, and this is kind of in the beginning. Uh, we looked at this probably a month or two ago. It says, do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. And you'll notice that in verse 12, he's talking for this is the law and the prophets. So do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. And that would have been the Old Testament um, the first five books of, of the Old Testament, um, the Torah, and then also you have the minor, you have the major prophets. He's like, I, I have not come to abolish the Old Testament and those specific writings, um, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, 
not a dot, and that's like the smallest letter and the smallest piece of a letter from the Hebrew language, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This whole idea of relaxing the commandments, teaching others to do the same, which a lot of the religious leaders were doing, they're coming up with their own things and their own ways, would be called the least. But the greatest would be those who teach it, well, those who do them, obedience first, and then teach them, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless the righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so then, Jesus then after that, and we've seen this over the last several weeks, gives examples of how the righteousness that Christ is after is far greater than the religious leaders. So much so that it's, it, it leaves you in a place of like, that's almost impossible apart from the grace of God. Remember when Jesus was talking about, oh, if you, lust toward, if you have lustful thoughts in your heart, that's like the same sin in the sense towards God, because he looks at the heart, it can lead you towards that, of adultery, or maybe you have hatred towards your brother, towards someone or a sister. That's the same as murder leads to that. And so Jesus gave this super high standard that would just leave, I think, the, those listening and us today thinking like, oh, what a wretched person I am. <laughs> you ever feel that way? I don't know. I was like, I was like, oh my goodness. It's like, have you ever had a loss of thought? Have you ever hated someone before? It's like adulterer, murder, like, oh God, I am so wicked. And hence, that's what Jesus is trying to get to, was there's a desperate need for him. The religious leaders were trying to make righteousness alone, apart from God, something that could be attained, but not even something that they were necessarily doing. That would be one thing to be like, I'm working really hard, like religion, to try to get towards God. They were actually teaching things that they were not even applying. And if we looked at that several weeks ago, that's what we would call a hypocrite, right? Someone that teaches what you should be doing, but then does the opposite. This morning I was reading, uh, just my morning uh, quiet time, and going through the, the Gospel of Matthew slowly, I believe it was in Matthew 23, maybe. But Jesus just starts talking about these seven woes towards the Pharisees and religious leaders. And you want to you feel conviction, read that later. Because uh, oftentimes I love to think I'm always the better version of the person in this story. But oftentimes I relate more with religious leaders or the Pharisees. But they were essentially, Jesus was saying essentially, do what they say, <laughs> but don't do what they do. Because what they do is the opposite of what they say. Does that make sense? Because their lives were opposite, counter towards what their words are. Jesus does not get happy at all, actually, in Scripture, and I think today, when words don't match actions. Jesus actually had a lot more seemingly compassion in his words towards those who would be like, I'm a wretched sinner, um, I'm a prostitute, uh, I'm a tax collector, uh, I'm a thief on a cross. Words were matching actions, right? But going to God, uh, Lord, would you have mercy on me, right? God, would you forgive me? Uh, I, I trust you. I'm on the cross too, dying, but Jesus is saying, today you'll be in paradise. I heard it once said, uh, <laughs> when it comes to salvation, uh, when I was younger, uh, one pastor said it. I've heard it multiple times, but I think we'll sometimes be surprised by the people that are in heaven and the people that are not in heaven. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but... If you look at the religious leaders, I mean, if they were going to repent, I hope a lot of them did, I don't know, they'll be in a great place. But this lifestyle, kind of like, I'm just going to say all the right things and say all the right religious jargon 
and try to get the praise of other humans versus I'm a broken sinner in need of a savior. Those are two different paths. And Jesus is speaking very clearly to that. So getting back up to the golden rule, uh, verse 12. Oh, I forgot to mention if you like just random facts. Uh, supposedly Emperor Alexander Servius had this phrase or this sentence written in gold on his wall. Hence, golden rule. Yeah, didn't know that. Just reading commentaries, I'm like, well, that's interesting. I learned a lot of neat stuff. Does it help you apply it? I don't know, but it gets in your mind. <laughs> but this idea of uh, the Pharisees and religious leaders would only do what they wanted to do, not to serve others, but to be served and praised by others. So Jesus saying this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, or this part of it, really goes against those who have been listening, the religious leaders, who would often do things, not to think of how can I serve someone, but how can I be served by them? Are you with me this morning? And so he's literally flipping it. So, all right, if that's your, if that's your MO, what you wish others would do for you, be like, just have them keep doing it for you, right? <laughs> no, Jesus doesn't say that. Do also for them. And we see this in like a biblical context that really Jesus is getting to a place that's inviting us to love people radically. Our standard for wishing or desiring isn't just based on us. It's based on loving like God. Matthew uh, 22, verses 34 to 40. This is in a section of scripture a lot of us know. The Sadducees, religious leaders, are trying to trap Jesus with questions about the resurrection. And if you want to tell the difference between the Sadducees, religious leaders, and the Pharisees, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, where the Pharisees did. So I remember in Bible school, it's like, you want to know the difference for the test? Just remember, the Sadducees don't remember, don't believe in the resurrection. And then one of my teachers was like, like so you were sad. They were sad. You see. I was like, oh, that's brutal. <laughs> that's brutal. It worked, though. I got it right on the test. <laughs> but you see the difference. So the Sadducees are trying to trick Jesus with a resurrection question about someone losing a wife and our husband like seven times. Jesus obviously answers that in a way that they're not expecting. And now the Pharisees are up for bat. They're like, all right, Sadducees lost on this. We'll show you how to trick Jesus. Here we go. And this is, they're literally competing against trying to trick Jesus. Um, that's the context for this. So verse 34 in Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Right? This is our time. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. This is not a test in a way of like, oh, we want to see if you're right. They really want to see if they can get them wrong. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now you might remember that phrase. We were just reading it, reading it before, right? I was reading it. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 12, for this is the law and the prophets. There's a lot of similarities, actually, to the second commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, as there is to the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This idea of loving, of caring, at looking for the welfare and the interest of lifting someone else up, this is what the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's about loving radically, both God and others. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. 
some ways, it's actually pretty straightforward. A way we could be thinking about this is maybe revisit this today, tomorrow during the week. You journal, I like journaling, you don't have to. I like journaling, write it down. And just ask the Lord, God, is there someone that I could serve in this way? And maybe it might be organically starting with the people you're with. Maybe there's a coworker or someone you might meet, but ask the Lord, how can I love others the way you have? And Lord, if there's, if there's a person that I'm finding myself checking, like, I don't wanna do this, that doesn't mean they're the issue. It usually means we're the issue, right? And Jesus was talking about that earlier, or I guess Aaron was mentioning what Jesus said about judging others. So many times we wanna figure out how to judge other people instead of figuring out how to serve other people. Jesus is asking us to serve and love, and the standard isn't the best human. The standard is himself. It's Jesus. So that's part one of the message. Now we're going to part two. Uh, there literally could be two separate ones, so I'm doing my best on this. So let's look at the next two verses. There's more that could be said on the first, but now Jesus, the, verse 12 is kind of like the ethical statement summarizing the Sermon on the Mount. Now Jesus is he's getting into a discourse that's going to show a couple of phrases, a couple of warnings, actually, as he's closing out the Sermon on the Mount. He's actually going to get into four warnings. He's going to talk about two ways. That's what we're looking at today. Next week is two trees. John will be preaching that. Two claims and then two builders. So you're going to see that theme. Two, 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 two. One this way, one that way. One grows this way and one doesn't grow. One claims this, another claims this. Another one builds a house, another one crashes. We'll see all of those as we're wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. So let's look at these two different ways that Jesus is sharing. He talks about a narrow gate and a wide gate. He says, for the gate is wide and the way easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. And then he compares that for a gate that is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. In verse 21, that entering the narrow gate can almost be parallel to entering the kingdom. And I mentioned that earlier in the message, uh, mentioning that, uh, verse 20 in Matthew 5, for I tell you, unless the righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then once again, we see this example of a gate. Uh, Luke also mentions something similar to this in Luke 13, verse 23. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. But you get this picture that there's a way that by default we can lead and live, right? That doesn't necessarily mean your circumstances are necessarily easy, but when you're living for yourself, it's a lot easier, right? When pride's the engine of all we do, it really doesn't take much effort, right? Imagine with me waking up tomorrow and just living the whole day for yourself, right? It's not that hard. I can figure out what Jim wants first and I'm not gonna serve my wife, I don't wanna serve my kids, I'm gonna do me, I'm just gonna let pride run the day, right? And I don't think we ever start our day that way, but sometimes we can live it that way, right? I have. Got to repent. I usually spend every day repenting somewhere in my day, um, realizing that there's grace, there's new mercies. There's a reason why there's new mercies every day, right? God doesn't say there's new mercies every Sunday. Great is my faithfulness, or once a month. There's new mercies every day. I don't know about you, but I want to walk in those new mercies. God, forgive me for not serving my wife the way you asked me to which I believe is a sacrificial, unconditional, looks like Christ dying for his church kind of love. Forgive me, God. I need your Holy Spirit to do that. Forgive me, God, for not slowing down to be with my kids as I'm moving too quickly with tasks and projects or I'm lost on my phone that I won't slow down. Forgive me, God. 
Forgive me, God, that I didn't listen well enough to someone I was meeting with. I was too busy thinking about the next thing instead of just being the presence of Jesus. Are you with me this morning? Right? I'm just being real, but I think it's good to give some real examples that there's an easy way that leads to destruction. And it's attractive, right? Because the majority of the people are doing it. That's what Jesus is saying. The majority of people are on this path. There's a small minority that want to be disciples who obey what the Father is saying. And Jesus is making that clear. We'll see it in one of the warnings about lip service. Don't say, Lord, 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 and then do nothing I say. Right? Jesus is wanting us to not just profess Christ, but to follow in his steps. Amen? There's a difference. Recently, I was at a doctor's appointment, and uh, there's a new tech or nurse, a CPA. She was really nice. Uh, but she was moving real fast. I could tell she was real nervous. So she puts like the, the blood cuff thing or whatever, I don't know, on my arm and she runs it. And like clearly the numbers are way too low. Like there are double digits on both of them. I don't know what I normally am, but I'm like, those can't be real numbers. And she's like not really looking at me. I just know she's anxious. I've been there. I get anxious too. And she's not even looking at me, but she says, she's like, I'm like, I think my numbers are too low. Like that's concerning. She's like, oh, you just have a really low heartbeat. She's like, uh, you're probably a runner, right? And I'm laughing at myself because I'm like, are you looking at me? Like, do I look like a runner? Like, I know what a runner looks like, you know? I'm like, look at Chad or look at Karen. I, I, know, I know what a runner looks like, you know? But she was so anxious, and I get it. I've done it so many times. She just wasn't, she's just trying to get her job done. And I was almost tempted in that moment to want to just say yes. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I've got the body of a runner. Yeah, this is not re-triathlon all over it, you know? <laughs> You know, but I was honest. You know what I said? Um, yeah, you're right. I used to be a runner 10 years ago. I don't think my resting heart rate is survived that long. You know what I mean? Uh, and she was just busy. She went on. I told Crystal, I'm like, I think these numbers were wrong. She's like, she probably just did it wrong because she was rushing. But sometimes in our Christian walk, isn't that what we like to say sometimes? Man, we're, I'm a Christ follower, right? <laughs> cool, you are? Awesome. Nice, yeah, yeah, I am. I really am. I'm a Christ follower. Nice. So how do you follow Christ? Like, daily. If, if you're a runner, that means you're probably running daily. So you can, you can track that. I jogged 15 minutes. I ran a half an hour. I ran an hour today. Like, you actually can have those conversations. If we claim to be Christ followers, but our actions prove that we're not, it might be better to be honest, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, but I haven't been following for the last 10 years. I do have the title, but to be honest, uh, I think I've just been kind of going through the motions. Uh, and it's easy to do that, right? 10 years, 15, 20, 30 years. Yeah, I used to Christ follow. It's probably a more honest thing. And for some of us, you're doing it. You're just doing it every day. You are a Christ follower, just like a runner. You are running the race marked out for you, like in a literal and like spiritual way. You go for it. But sometimes we need to just be honest. Like, Lord, am I truly going through the narrow gate and following after Jesus, the one that leads to life? Or am I just on this path that everyone else is on that's just me doing me all the time? Jesus shows us there's two different outcomes. One leads to destruction, one leads to life. And Jesus often shared with his followers that following after Jesus, that life that we have eternal and ultimately Jesus is that life, it will be hard, right? Doesn't he say that it's going to be hard? Luke 9, 23, he said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Uh-oh, not decade or half century, 
daily and follow me? It's like an invitation. Hey, you want to come run with me? We're going to run every day. And that's going to be daily. And you're going to tell, and people are going to tell the difference that running has made in your life. Following Jesus, if you're taking up the cross daily, we're going to look more and more like Jesus. Because taking up the cross, that's a sign of suffering. That's a sign of death to yourself and the king reigning. Amen? And honestly, in our culture, most people don't want that. And even in Christian cultures, most of us sometimes don't want that. I know sometimes I don't want that. I remember one pastor was sharing once. He's like, a lot of times as Christians, we can spend more time sanding down our crosses than carrying them. Because we want both the life that's for eternity on a wide open path. We want both of these, but not the way Jesus described them. We want a wide road that leads right to life. It doesn't require any sacrificial death. Jesus said, if you come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily, not sandpaper it down so it's comfy, smooth, and cozy, and follow me. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're supposed to love everybody, amen? But to be honest, in our culture, and you can see in Christian cultures too, um, sometimes we just want to be like, we love everybody, and there's every single way to get to heaven. You do you, and somehow you get there. Jesus is incredibly exclusive <laughs> if you look at how you get to the Father. Right? He is. We like to just kind of like, oh, you're doing that. Does that mean we shouldn't love people from other religions? No, we should love everyone radically everywhere. Jesus died for a complete world at rebellion. He did not give specifics for which people he did not die for. He died for everyone, amen? But the way to life the way to the Father, the way to eternal life in Christ and life and life fullness, both now and forever, it's through Christ. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we are trying to access the Father through something or someone else besides Jesus, that's a great time to repent. Whether we're a Christ follower or not, Jesus, forgive me for trying to follow you on my own means or through something else, or someone else. There's only one name above every name that all everyone will declare and everyone will bow before, and that's the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to be right where Jesus is. I want to be following the way, the truth, and the life. I was mentioning this in prayer this morning, and I think I've said this probably in a message before, um, but I remember talking to some missionaries or reading a book, I forget what it was, and uh, probably a missionary book, and they're mentioning how in other countries where brothers and sisters are being persecuted, that in some places that persecution is so hot, so dangerous, that when they share that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, they're not just talking about like some, okay, you can experience that now, and then in the future, you know, you'll be with Jesus, both here and now, and the whole kingdom come kind of thing. For some, when they mention this, it's like them accepting Christ will be martyred them in the next 24 to 48 hours. And so that's how they present it. Would you like to come follow Jesus? Would you come like to know the one who's died for you? And it's amazing, because I keep hearing these testimonies that people will value Jesus so much that even death within 20 to 48 hours is not a deterrent. I don't know about you, but it's pretty convicting. Because sometimes I just want cozy following Jesus, right? I want it easy, I want it there, but there's brothers and sisters who are literally coming to know Christ and then meeting Christ face-to-face -face in heaven within 24 hours. I'm like, Jesus, I want to have more of that kind of heart, right? 
that God, I would give up anything for you. And even if it was an invitation of death is going to be right there, but remember, Jesus has already conquered death, that's not a deterrent for following. Because we have to be honest, life gets hard, things get tricky, we get busy, we get distracted. Maybe it's not getting killed in the next 24 hours, but maybe we can be distracted for the next six days that we don't even spend time following Jesus. When I look at that, I'm like, Lord, I've done that so many times. It's not persecution, it's just like distractions, busyness, just going nonstop, living for me, trying to figure out how to do me and fit you in when I can, where Jesus is inviting those who would want to follow them, follow him. And it's always a very small minority, even of the religious people at that day, a very small minority. Would you come to the gate that is narrow and the way that is hard? but it leads to life. Would you come and follow me? I'm going to have an opportunity for us just to pray and talk with the Lord on where our heart is at today. I'm going to invite the musicians at this time and just ask God, and you can just be honest with him. Are you in a place where you're following Jesus every day, like a runner who runs every day? You are a runner. Do you find that maybe following Christ has been, I don't know, Last year's thing, it was more like a COVID 2020 kind of thing out of desperation, five years, 10 years, maybe it's like 30 years ago, I don't know. And you feel like, Lord, I want to I wanna follow you today. Like, I want to follow you. And, and even if the circumstances are getting hard, which you promised they actually would, those who follow Christ will be persecuted. Um, God, I still believe that you're good enough and worthy enough that, Lord, I want to I wanna follow you. Even if I fall, I want to fall towards the cross not running away from it. So let's take a moment to pray. We'll just take a minute or so just to reflect. Ask the Lord, uh, God, would you, would you work in my heart and just, just talk to him um, about where your heart is for him and following him. Let's take a moment to pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you care for us. God, I thank you that knowing you is better than anything on this planet. And even in the midst of difficulties and tribulations, God, you say to consider it pure joy knowing that the testing of our faith will develop, God, us to look more like you. So guys, we just pause. Lord, you speak to me. Would you speak to us, God, and just share with us what you have for us today. So let's just take a moment to be quiet, and then we'll have a time to sing together. God, I just thank you that you value us more than the birds of the air. God, that you know our needs, that you care for us and love us. God, following after you is the best thing we can do. But God, forgive me. I know probably others can relate when I get distracted by the hardships and the difficulties and the glitter of a wide open highway. I want to go after that instead of following after you. God, I thank you that today is a new day. There's new mercies in you. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. And God, I pray for myself, my brothers and sisters, Lord that we would let nothing else get in the way of following after you. And Lord, if there's something you're highlighting right now, we just want to let it go. Whether it's a struggle we want to trust you in, or maybe, God, we got some real exciting thing that's real good, but it's getting in the way of you. God, we want to lay that down at your feet, God. Lord, we want to follow after you. And God, just declare that knowing you, Jesus, God, there's nothing else we would want to know except knowing you. God, we ask this in the mighty and the loving and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.